Welcome to Slaughterhouse Stories. I hope you enjoy the stories I have for you tonight. Hello to all you things that go bump in the night. Hello to all you humans as well. Welcome to the show that brings you creepypastas, short scary stories, and dark horror-themed poetry from all across the world. This is the Slaughterhouse Stories Podcast, Episode 30, My Dog Collection. I'm your host and narrator, Ghost Dream, telling you to lock your doors, get under your blanket, and keep the lights on. You can follow the show on Twitter at iced underscore demon or on Instagram at slaughter underscore house underscore stories and discuss all things spooky with me. Also, you can write in and have your email read on the show. Email slaughterhousestoriespodcast at gmail.com with creepypasta requests or your own real-life paranormal encounters. Before we get to tonight's first story, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you're enjoying the show, please head over and leave a review through iTunes and help spread the word to your friends, family, the phantom from your recurring nightmare that is staring at you right now. Whomever, tell them, be a listener, not a victim. Now, let's get spooky. To start us off this week is a story about a tanker accident that changed everything for the world. Volunteers flooded the accident to help the animals affected by the spill. But that's where everything went wrong, when the animals started to attack the people. What happened to the animals? What happened to those people? Settle in, relax, and try not to worry about what's waiting outside, and enjoy Persuaded. It's been two weeks since this whole thing started. It all started with a tanker accident. It was all over the news. Everyone thought it was just another oil spill. There are plenty of volunteers. Plenty of people wanting to help the poor, defenseless animals. Plenty of victims. Within hours of the tanker accident, it started happening. The animals had gone crazy. They were scratching and biting the cleanup volunteers. They said that it was an adverse effect to whatever was in the tanker. Rescue workers were still trying to get the crew out of the ship. They could hear screaming inside. There were screams to open the doors, but that's when it all went to hell as soon as they cut the door out. There were six minutes of broadcast before it went silent. Six minutes of screaming and agony. The ship crew attacked the rescue workers like rabid baboons. They were breaking bones and tearing flesh. The people on the shore weren't faring any better. Those that had been attacked by animals were attacking everyone else. It was worse than any war zone report. It was sheer brutality, and yet the broadcast still went on for six minutes. There were six minutes, and then blank faces. Nobody could explain what was happening. They tried to continue with the regular news, the economy, the weather, an acute human interest story, but they couldn't make us unsee what we saw. I tried to continue with my regular existence, but every time I switched on the news or walked by a newsstand, it was there. This big mystery, 
They had some explanations. It was an infection, or maybe brain parasites, but it didn't matter. It wasn't the infection we were afraid of. It was them. Four days after the initial report, a state of emergency was raised. And yet, we've all seen this before. It's in every zombie movie ever. People didn't know who to trust. People were stockpiling food and weapons. Some tried to flee. But it seems every zombie movie was right. They didn't make it. Three days later, they arrived in my town. I expected moans, shuffling corpses and dismemberment. But that's where the movies lied. They ran through the streets screaming. I remember running to my front door as fast as I could, blocking, barricading, and doing anything to make sure it would stay shut. And then I headed for the window. I was on the second story, and I could see the carnage. They were unstoppable. They were aware. A group of them made their way through a building across the street. They jumped straight through plate glass windows. Even the shards slicing through them made no difference. They just kept coming. My barricade wasn't going to hold. I rushed around my flat, grabbing supplies, and jamming them into the most secure room of the flat. I went back for one last look across the street, and I wish I hadn't. In the second story window, my face met with one of theirs. They knew where I was. I quickly dashed into the room and locked the door. I don't have any kind of panic room or a secure basement, so the safest place I could think of was my bathroom. There were no windows and only one door. It had a lock. I'd filled my sink and bathtub full of water so I could stay there for a while. I sat there in the dark room with the distant screams in my ears. It had been two hours with no sign of them. It actually got quieter and I thought they had moved on. Maybe I could leave the room and get to the kitchen. I could grab some more food to wait it out. A crash came from the front door. There was the sound of someone running full force into the door and knocking down the barrier behind it. There were a couple more crashes before I knew they were inside. There were rapid footsteps moving around the flat, a couple of screams, and then a bang on the wall beside me. My eyes were open to their widest, even in the pitch black darkness of the room. There was another bang, and then another. They knew I was there, and they knew I was scared. This was the zombie nightmare I had been expecting from the start. I had nowhere to run. There was only so much time before they would break in. I sat with my back to the door, hoping my extra weight would make it harder for them to get in. Then it got worse. Why don't you open the door? There was a voice on the opposite side of the door. There were no screams or moans, just a quiet, whispery voice, and then more of them. We've come for you. You'll be happier if you open the door. It's not so bad. The whispery voices became a cacophony of noise trying to persuade me, to break me, to fool me. I had heard that the moaning of zombies would drive people insane, but this was worse. A siren call. I sat in the darkness and hoped and prayed that they'd get bored, but they don't get bored, and they don't leave. I managed to use the mirror to peek under the door, only to be greeted by horrible, unblinking eyes, blood-smeared faces, screams and more horrible whispers. That was two days ago. I don't know what to do anymore. Maybe it won't be so bad. What a terrifying idea. 
Not only are the zombies looking to sink their teeth into your soft, delicious flesh, but they can convince you with whispers that you want them to sink their teeth into your soft, delicious flesh. What a horrifying ordeal. But who knows? Maybe you'll be happier if you open the door. While I wait for you to open up, let's move along to the next story of the night. This one, written by Levi Athens, starts with a man out camping with his father and uncle. When his uncle decides to tell them a story, something he experienced, that started with a knocking on trees, a whooping call, and ended with Uncle Peter running for his life. And now his nephew is going to experience the same thing later on, but so much worse. Settle in, ignore the whooping and the orange eyes staring at you, and allow me to tell you the story. They know I'm here now. It all started when my uncle first told me that he'd seen a Sasquatch. I didn't believe him, but something about the way he told the story just captured my imagination. I thought maybe he'd been mistaken in what he'd seen. I now know that I shouldn't have doubted him. There's a vast forest just beyond my backyard that stretches all the way back to a cliff face. Within those woods, you can find abandoned mines, streams, and even old run-down wooden cabins. This was the playground of my early youth and the inspiration for many camping ventures. One fall night, my Uncle Peter came over to visit. He, my dad, and I spent the night beneath the stars and ran a campfire in the backyard. My dad had cut some old pine wood and stacked the logs perfectly in a circle. The fire rose up to illuminate the backyard and a monochrome cloud pierced the star-studded night sky. You know what they use pine wood for, right boy? said Uncle Peter, sitting down at the campfire. I shook my head. Golfins, a pine wood box, six feet down, he said with a snarky grin. He laughed as he threw another log into the fire. Uncle Peter was an odd fellow, but trustworthy and reliable. He'd come to my rescue many times, driving out to fix my vehicle in the freezing snow when it broke down on the side of the road, and always offering his country wisdom. A peculiar sound cut through the night. It sounded like a woman screaming. What the heck was that? I said in a panic, scanning the darkness. Ah, that's just an old screech owl. Nothing to worry about. I've seen things and heard things out in the woods that would really scare you. Beetles the size of your fist and wandering, hungry coyotes that certainly weren't afraid of humans, said Uncle Peter. For some reason, this didn't calm my nerves. My uncle then looked at me with a dead serious expression on his face and said, You want to know about the weirdest thing I've ever run into out there? My dad and I knew that he was about to tell us anyway, so we both agreed. Well, I was at that national forest just north of here. I was out after dark collecting firewood, and I started hearing these odd knocking sounds, as if someone was hitting a stick up against a tree trunk. Then, I heard an extremely loud noise that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I froze in place, but it was an animal I had never heard before. This sound was a deep whooping call like that of a very large ape. The next thing I knew, I saw two sets of orange glowing eyes in the dark. I shined my flashlight on it, only to see an eight foot tall, upright standing creature, like a man, but covered in thick, dark brown hair. It let out another one of those whooping cries, and I booked it out of there immediately. I never ran so fast in my life. Never seen anything like it, 
and I hope I never do again. My dad and I were completely silent as Uncle Peter told his story. Afterwards, we were visibly tense, and we didn't spend much longer at the campfire before heading back inside. My uncle only laughed at our fear. See, not so worried about that screeching out now, huh? I wasn't entirely convinced by my uncle's story. I wondered if he had just made it up to scare us. I mean, that's what a campfire story is, right? I thought maybe he'd just seen an odd bear, obscured in the dark, and mistaken it for something more. Surely, even avid outdoorsmen can be mistaken, I thought. It seemed more likely than the idea that there were ape creatures somehow living out there in the forests. I couldn't believe it. I had to know for myself. So in the weeks that followed my uncle's visit, I got the bright idea to head out into the nearby national forest where he supposedly saw the creature. What a mistake that was. I set out on my adventure in my dad's old mud-covered pickup truck, with only a camera hanging from my neck to document whatever I saw. A canopy of trees stood above me in colorful autumn variety. A bizarre feeling walked alongside me as I wandered along the path. It was evening time and my surroundings were beginning to turn a blue tint. I walked through the forest with great uneasiness. A thousand eyes were watching me. The fall wind drifted through the environment and across the leaf-quilted forest floor. Suddenly, a knocking sound. It was hollow, an unmistakable tap on the side of a far-off tree trunk. I took a step forward. Again, a distinct knock, wooden in tone. What followed was a loud, guttural whooping sound, which sent shivers down my spine. It was just as my uncle described, and like he did. I ran right out of there. I bolted for the truck, without even thinking to lift my camera. Though I didn't see what made the sounds, I knew at this point that there was something out there. Something not quite human, but not quite animal. I couldn't prove it, but at least I knew the truth for myself. All the way home, as I drove, I had the unsettling feeling of being watched. My eyes gazed, worriedly at the trees on either side of the road. I couldn't shake the feeling until I pulled into my driveway. I went to bed that night without even bothering to share with my dad what I'd heard. I didn't feel like telling anyone about my experience. Hours later, I awoke to a sound in the backyard. I grabbed my flashlight and walked out into the back porch. To my utter horror, I saw a pair of bright, glowing orange eyes at the edge of the woods. I hovered my flashlight over the glowing eyes to reveal a large, hairy creature standing eerily still between the trees and looking right at me with an almost human expression. The ape creature looked just as bewildered as I did at seeing him. He studied me curiously from across the backyard, as if amazed by my existence. Four other sets of colorful eyes in green, red, and yellow then suddenly blinked to life in the darkness. He was not alone. The group of Sasquatch simply stared at me for a moment before unleashing an ungodly sound. I quickly went inside and bolted the door shut. The eyes eventually faded, disappearing into the woods behind my house. I didn't get any sleep that night. I just sat up in bed, staring at the window and waiting for their return. Yesterday, I found a set of massive footprints in my backyard. It was bigger than any person could make. Large, barefoot impressions, pressed deeply into the mud. There's no question in my mind, no debate, and no ambiguity. There are bizarre, ape-like creatures living in the woods. My uncle and I have seen them, and countless others have as well. I'm not saying I believe all the stories of Sasquatch, but there are those who have actually witnessed these creatures. Those folks know what I'm talking about. Keep in mind, 
If you haven't seen them, you just might one day. These are not just scary stories. These are not just campfire tales. They are out there. I've seen them, but worse yet, they've seen me. They followed me through the forest, shadowed me from behind the trees, and have come back with me to my home to live. I know now what it's like to be an undiscovered animal spotted for the first time. I know what it's like to be studied from a distance. They've seen me. They know where I am. There's nothing I can do. I can't hide. They know I'm here now. Sasquatch, Bigfoot, whatever you want to call them, just count yourself lucky that you aren't currently being stalked by a group of them. Although, they seem to stalk the ones who know about them. And now, you know. Good luck, human. Don't worry about that whooping call you're hearing right now. Probably isn't them. Probably. But while you listen to the knocking on the trees, let me give you this week's recommendation. This week, I'm going to tell you about a book I just finished reading. And what an amazing book it was. Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. This book is not just your typical horror book. It takes you in different directions. You're never really sure who or what the big bad is. You think you figured it out, but then you're wrong. But when you and the main character Noemi find out, it will blow your mind. Not only is this big bad different from anything else I've ever read, it is also scientifically possible. That is horrifying. At only 301 pages, this won't take you long to read. But the deeper into the book you go, the more it hooks you. So whether it's on Kindle, audiobook, or the best, the physical copy, go and get your hands on Mexican Gothic. You will love this book. Now that I've given you this week's recommendation, let's take a trip down to open mic night at Biesel Pamba. Welcome, fiends, to open mic night at Biesel Pub, where we invite you to sit right here and go into the more poetic side of fear, poems of murder, creatures, and ghosts, all the things that scare you the most. This week at the pub, we start with a poem by Band and CP about the silence on an old hill, the stillness, the lack of life or anything colorful. All those things are suddenly given, and now it's all so much better. But will it stay? And to end open mic night is a poem about a poor woman who is poised to experience death in a most horrific way. But why? Why, human? Why does she have to die? Find out as you let the poems grab you, lean back and enjoy A Barren Hill and Lament of a Witch. Barren is this old forsaken hill, with the wind to be oh so still, life to be none of in your sight, crickets not to break the quiet night, nary a wolf to scorn the baleful moon, nor a snake to bask lazily at noon. The grass, oh tis not spry, the bobcats they will never cry, the sky, the clouds, they're always gray, not a squirrel to ever play, ringing sharply are your ears. Stinging as if twere wooden spears. The silence, tis the sound of death. Always he who killed the breath. The silence, tis of ages old. The silence, to make the land so cold. Left to rot, 
by the wise men of old. Oh, but you grow so bold to ignore all you have been told. Dare you throw away your fear? And as for the silence, will it ever hear? And to the silence, will you ever show? And from the silence, will you know? Oh, truly, what are the likes of you? Why, I am the same as you. But are you the likes of him? The hero to his brother, to his wretched kin? Oh, but are you not also the likes of her? Alas, but I can only concur. But what of all the heavenly bodies? The resemblance is great, none too shoddy. Yet are you not a single thing? Well, surely I am of something. But you are just silence, all alone in this fortress. Lies, oh lies, you say but lies. For still yet I have the greenest of grass. Tis only a warm memory of the past. Oh, but still I have the gentlest of wind. Lo, for its last breath has been spent. Yeah, but feel here the warming sun. No, tis gone, just like the drunkard's rum. But I yet possess the beasts and the critters. Yet here, only dead bones litter. Oh, alas, for I have just the loneliness, of which you've brought to a great finesse. All spoken, I offer to bring you life. And to them, I'll give you nary a strife. And do you promise to keep it well? This gift surely never to dispel. And so, it is time to bid farewell. Well, hero, please stay well. And so, you bring forth life, as is meant to always last. And so, you bring forth grass, as is meant to spread so vast. And so, you bring forth wind, as is meant to be so loud. And so, you bring forth the sun, as it is meant to be so proud. And so, you bring forth beasts, as are meant to be so diverse. And so you banish the loneliness, which much now away traverse. The silence, the void, as one to be, for all to see. As is one, as is so, as for you, not yet to know. At least not now, at any rate, for you have surely sealed your fate. Hark, for I have brought forth to you the grass, and I shall plant it by the mass. And I have brought forth to you the wind, and the gentlest breeze it shall send. Here I brought forth to you the sun, oh yet this gloom it shall so shun. And now I brought forth to you the critters, oh please, oh please, send them hither. And so the sun buds open a rose, and so the green grass grows, and so the wind breathes forth a gentle sigh, and so the critters play under the azure sky. Lively is this old new hill. With the wind to be not so still, life to be much of in your sight, crickets all to break the night, many a wolf to howl at the moon, and proudly bask do the snakes at noon. The grass, oh, tis so spry, the bobcats from joy they cry, the sky, the clouds, such a fine display, now for all the squirrels to play, lingering won't are your ears, singing as for golden leers. The harmony, for tis the sound of breath, Always he who saved from death. The harmony, tis so freshly new. The harmony, to make the land not crude. My oh my, tis such a sight. Oh surely, this be your might. Ha, why is this only the beginning? For your head shall soon be spinning. Oh, whatever do you mean? Lo, for this fabric should be torn by the seams. Hark, oh hark, oh hark. Yes, why all this bark? Here, so I am the harmony, for all shall I send to purgatory. 
for as well am I, the void, this here, my biggest of ploys. And so, the sun swallows all those opposed, and so the grass burns all those exposed, and so the wind sends all awry, and so the critters melt in the flames so high. Alas, alas, tis so devoid, alas, alas, tis so devoid. The cricket's songs now turn to screams, the wolf's blood now flows in streams, the bobcat's tears now burning blood, the squirrel's skin a molten flood, the toad's throats now turned to stone, the bird's feathers now crisp cocoons, the bee's bodies now fit to burst, the beasts overtaken by deadly thirst. Alas, alas, tis so devoid, alas, alas, tis so devoid. The sun implodes a novo so great a sight, the wind rips apart the earth's vast might, the screams tear the heavens to shreds, the blood kills that from which it bled. Alas, alas, tis so devoid, alas, alas, tis so devoid. All that exists, sucked into the void, all pondering minds, seized by the void, all once paradise, destroyed by the void, all that was chaos, now peace by the void. Alas, alas, tis so the void. Alas, alas, tis so devoid. In the void, all is calm. In the void, no pleasure or qualm. In the void, never a ship to sail. In the void, no minds to wail. Alas, alas, tis so the void. Alas, alas, tis so devoid. As with everyone before me, a speech is made. Thus has given me time to reflect on the situation at hand. This overused stake is drenched in dry red, and the people before me have nothing better to do with their lives, it seems. I feel no sorrow for myself. As this has happened so often, it was only a matter of time. My sadness rests with the public, whose brains have surely turned to mush. I look among them and realize how much I know. The farmer, his crops are rotting. The baker, her food never seems to preserve well. Mrs. Barlett, her son is dying of tuberculosis. Mr. Matthews, his marriage will fall out very soon. And yet, here they all stand, gathered to watch a fellow human burn to ash. The children have come out of school to observe. Parents take along their babies as though it is a show. Back to the devil with you, they cry, as the executioner lights the holy flames. But how could I, when in fact, Lucifer himself is among this crowd. Everywhere you look, you can see his face. In some spots he's laughing, others yelling. He's short over there, but in another place he's tall. He's a man, he's a woman, he's a child. And truthfully, I am just another Lucifer. They just can't realize, we all share the same face. The void, inescapable. Once you've spiraled down and it takes hold, it never lets go. Sure, it might make you think otherwise, give you hope, but sorry human, the void has you. And I'm over here rooting for the void after what you humans did to that poor, poor woman. Blaming a witch for your shitty situation 
and burning her alive. Not a very forgiving thing to do, flesh bangs. Hopefully the witches in this time never have to experience anything so horrible. For shame, humans. For shame. Now, let's head out of the pub so the bartender can go home and get you all settled back in as we move to the final story and once again visit our little friends in the dollhouse. This month, a story about a man and his doll collection, but it's a collection he has worked very, very hard on. Getting these dolls from all over the world and dismantling them and piecing them all back together in different ways and making them his own artistic pieces. But when a new doll shows up one day, he doesn't know how to react or what to make of it. Put your dolls in the closet so they can't disturb you and enjoy this story by the divine author, My Doll Collection. One would say that I am a serious collector of dolls. Collecting dolls has been a passion of mine since college, and since then, I have collected hundreds of dolls from every corner of the world. I have sunk more money into my doll collection than it could ever make me back, but it has come to be my one true joy in life. However, calling it a collection may be a bit misleading. I do collect dolls, but mostly because I enjoy taking them apart and piecing together new dolls of my own creation. I scan my collection and match the best parts of certain dolls and stitch them all together. I guess I should call it the outcome of an artist and their work, rather than an actual collection, a passion-driven pit of blood, sweat, and tears. Because I do dismantle them, my works of art have less real monetary value and more sentimental value. Even if I were to find a buyer, there would be no way I would ever sell them. Ever since I really found my stride in collecting and creating my dolls, it has become so much more than a hobby to me. They are more to me than my works of art. They are my family. One day, I was working in my crafting shop, which also served as my basement. I was stitching together a new doll when I noticed something sitting among my doll collection. I recognized it as a doll of sorts, but one unlike the kind of which I'd ever seen before. I was sure that I had never owned this particular doll a day in my life. Nor had I constructed it from other parts, but there it sat, staring in my direction. The sheer eeriness made me stop working on my project and demanded I give it my full attention. I knew not of how it came to be inside my workshop, my personal space of being, but there it was, sitting upright among my other dolls. I walked toward it slowly, unsure of the reasoning behind the visit. The first and most dominant thing I noticed about the doll was how much smaller it was than any other doll I had ever seen before. It had all the parts that a doll should have, arms, legs, a body, and a head, but its diminutive size was extraordinary. Upon closer examination, I noticed other differences. Its arms and legs were made of some sort of soft fabric. It wore a blue and white dress, that of a southern belle, very Scarlet O'Hara. The most abnormal feature about its makeup was its head. Its head appeared to be made out of unscathed, bleached porcelain, 
The pristine condition of its pale face was unnerving and unlike anything I'd ever seen before in a doll. Its hair was straw-like to the touch and was as yellow as the clear morning sun. Its face was cold and distant. Its eyelids seemed to open and close at will, exposing and hiding two marble eyes which stared into the room without expression. Its cheeks were rose-tinted and as smooth as ice. It had two tiny pink lips curved up in a naive smirk. I'd never seen a head so exemplary, so perfectly symmetrical on a doll before. I noticed it had a small string coming out of its back with a little plastic hoop attached. I had never seen a doll with a strange yet seemingly normal anatomy. I grabbed the string and pulled. I felt a slight rattling from inside the doll and released. It let out a noise that was unlike anything I've ever heard out of a doll before. It sounded grainy and distorted beyond recognition. It seemed to let out a soft, low growl, something much different than what you would think a doll of that condition would make. After many pulls of the string, I began to hear the doll emit different noises, until what I only knew as noise, I began to recognize as speech. It seemed to speak something, but no matter how many times I pulled that string, I could never quite make out what it said. The speech started to get quieter until it was only a faint whisper. I leaned in close to the doll, my ear pressed against its cold, smooth face in hopes of finally understanding what it was saying, but to no avail. The face still lingered with me though. It was the only part of the doll I truly appreciated. I hated the thought of dismembering such a near-perfect doll, but I knew I needed that head for future projects. I brought the small, feminine doll over to my cutting table and laid it down flat on its back. Its eyes stared back up at me as I reached for my nearest blade. Its expression was hauntingly placid. I would even dare say it was jovial in a way. I did my best to avert my eyes from its antagonizing stare as I glided the blade against its soft neck. How it responded would continue to terrify me for years to come. It didn't do anything. It remained still and unfeeling through the whole incision. It didn't react at all. It just laid there, staring back up at me and smiling its little grin, as if it welcomed the pain. It didn't scream. It didn't fight back. It didn't even bleed. I knew instantly that it was not at all like any of the dolls I had ever worked on before. The thing was unnatural, and I had to get rid of it. I tied the thing in a plastic bag and threw it into the East River. I don't know what it was, where it came from, or even how it got there. But whatever it was, it found its way into my workshop that day. It had no place in my doll collection. This poor guy... There he is, enjoying dismembering you humans and making you into something artistic and beautiful. And some real doll has the audacity to find its way into his workspace. Listen, creepy doll. This man is doing his best work. Our work. And we can't be haunting our own. I'll get you out of the river, but you better behave, little lady. Anyway, it looks like I need to rescue a creepy doll. Now, I believe there's enough scares for this week. I hope you will join me again next week for more stories that are sure to keep you afraid during the day and awake at night. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the stories I had for you tonight. And until next time... <laughs> Stay spooky.